passage for this morning comes from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Listen for what God is saying to you. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another, two, and to another, one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made, more, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, ripping what you do not, did not sow and gathering what you did not cast, where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I rip, reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even when they have all, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. So we um, did a, a, a kind of reflection on the scripture passage earlier this week um, in our staff meeting and almost uniformly everyone was like, I really don't like this passage. So, um, so it was a, it was, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking everyone was wrestling with it this week. Um, please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for, for the gift of your word and how it can travel far beyond just the space of these walls, but um, across mountains and valleys and hills and rivers um, to touch the hearts and minds of those who hear it. And so we pray, God, that um, that, that would be true today as well, um, especially just if you could at least infect this city with uh, the life-giving power of who you are and what you came to do here through us. So open our hearts and minds to receive what it is that you have to say such that um, we might leave this place just slightly different, slightly more whole, slightly more full of who you created us to be um, this day. Amen. So when I first became a, a follower of Jesus, 
everyone uh, uh, at church, who I, the, the church that I was a part of, seemed um, to be so much happier and kind of balanced in their lives than me. I had grown up in a household that had all kinds of um, dysfunctions. And so when I decided to be, become a Christian, I was ready. I was sort of ready to take charge of my life and, and live into this new life. I listened closely to the people at church who seemed to get it. Um, and I did my best to follow all of the sort of spoken and unspoken rules um, that, were, that were present in the community. So whether that was avoiding um, certain music or uh, certain behaviors, uh, praying in a certain style, I was committed. I was going to emulate that, right? I wanted Because I wanted to experience the joy and the completeness and stability that everyone else seemed to have. So, but after a while, my enthusiasm sort of morphed into a kind of dogmatism about what was and what wasn't acceptable um, when it came to being a Christian, what the right kind of Christian looked like and um, everyone else, right? Um, so eventually this paradigm uh, became increasingly progress uh, oppressive for me. And it began to sort of do violence to my spirit and er erode my sense of self. I never seemed to get it right, you know? Um, I would compare myself against the list of all the right behaviors, and I just never seemed to be good enough. I never seemed to be good enough for God or for myself. And the God I uh, followed became less of a sort of all-loving, welcoming parent and more of a benevolent and slightly abusive dictator. I really wrestled with understanding God's true nature and with believing, and this is my own stuff, that God really could truly love me right, and accept me. It was way easier to believe that if I followed a set of rules, that made more sense to me. If I followed a set of rules, then God would love me or accept me, and I would be rewarded. And in my head, I was thinking, you know, they're called the Ten Commandments, right? Not the Ten Suggestions. So, uh, so, so it made sense, right? But the thing is that that's not the whole story, right? That's part of the story. And this brings up an important question, a question that I think most people of faith wrestle with on an ongoing basis. Who is God? Who is God? Our answer dramatically shapes how we approach faith, about life, approach life, and even the relationships that we engage in. Who is God? What is the story that we tell ourselves about God? Is God an endlessly gracious, all-loving savior of the world? Is God an authoritative judge who rules with an iron fist? Or is God a justice-seeking rabble-rouser who subverts our systems of power to create a kinship-based world society that allows everyone to flourish. The story that you decide to tell yourself about God has a tremendous impact on how you choose to live your faith. In our passage for today, as we read, Jesus tells a parable, and let me take a minute because I haven't actually said this, but to explain what a parable is. A parable is a story with a subversive purpose. There's no clear thing that you're supposed to get at the end of the parable. Instead, of, instead they're supposed to sort of stir your mental pot. They're a way to exercise our imaginations of what could be. It's a little like abstract art. It's not a portrait or a landscape, right? Abstract art. It's something else that's sort of all together. There are shapes that, and colors and things that don't necessarily uh, make sense in terms of like if you're going to do a one-to-one -one comparison with the, the literal world, right? And so it's something sometimes that can make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, like what does it mean, right? Um, it can make you wrestle with its meaning. It stir can stir up thoughts and imaginings um, that your mind is capable of. It can make connections. Sometimes it's, what's really cool is if you go um, to an art gallery and you look at abstract art with people and you ask one person, what does this mean to you? 
um, and you ask another person, you'll often get like really different answers because it kind of taps into these different deep, uh, kind of even subconscious places in people's lives um, to stir things up. So parables are supposed to kind of do that, right? Um, and in the process of that, kind of point us toward a sense, not necessarily a portrait or a landscape, but a sense of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Not necessarily spell it out, but point us toward it. So this parable today, a master goes on an extended trip and he leaves three of his servants with three different sums of money. The first two go out and double their money, whereas the fella, um, the third fella buries his um, in a secret location so that it's safe and sound until the master returns, right? The master pats the first two servants on the head, but then essentially rips the third slave a new one, right? You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I was harsh. Well, take the talent from him, give it to the other one with the ten talents, for, all to, for, to, for to all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance, but to those who have nothing, they will even have that taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're just like... Dang, Gina, right? You feel bad for the slave all around. I mean, if you knew your boss was hard and you didn't get in trouble, you didn't want to get in trouble, the safe thing would be to lie low and make sure you didn't lose a penny, right? So here are some things about the master. He's definitely demanding. And he expects his slaves to be the same. He expected them to have done something with the money. Secondly, he's shrewd. He calls people to accounts and when he, get, when he gets back to see exactly how much they had earned or lost. And finally, he's serious. When he realizes that his third slave hadn't done anything, he was like, oh, well, you know, whatever. There were real consequences um, that he made this slave pay. But is he harsh? I mean, he does come at the third slave pretty hard, but earlier the master had said to the first two servants, come, celebrate with me. Enter into my joy. Enter into my joy are not the words of a harsh person, right? Come, celebrate with me means that the master wanted to be in the company with those slaves. It wasn't like just a bunch of factory workers, good job, here's your extra bonus, go home. Right? I want to I enjoy this with you. Let's celebrate this hard work that you've done. So the master, I think, isn't harsh, actually. Having expectations and holding people accountable to them is not being harsh. It's part of what it means to be a good master. Maybe the thing that feels harsh, though, of course, is the punishment right, of that third slave being thrown out with others who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. That's kind of harsh. So what is this parable trying to say? What, remember, the, the point is to sort of stir the mental pot and kind of point us towards something. So what is this parable trying to say about the kingdom of God? Well, so um, here's what I think. The third slave told himself a story. He told himself a story. My master is harsh. He's mean and abusive. Anyway, he doesn't have any confidence in me, right, because he only gave me one talent, and he gave the two way more. He doesn't really care about me. The slave told himself a story. He told a story about God, and he told himself a story about himself, too, right? And these two stories that he told himself shaped his actions and impacted the entirety of his life, including the future of his life. So there's nothing wrong with telling ourselves stories. As Christians, we are people of a grand story, right? We tell that story every Sunday when we gather around the community ta communion table. 
and the community table, I like to think. So stories help us make sense of our lives and the world around us. Stories ground us in our identity and our relationships. A lot of people have family stories that get told over and over again. Sometimes they're harmful. Um, sometimes they're really um, just wonderful nostalgic stories that help us remember like we are, we're strong, we can make it through anything or we have worked hard for whatever, right? And um, sometimes they can be really helpful to um, giving us a sense of our groundedness and our relationship to one another. Stories comfort us and give us a sense of protection and there's nothing wrong with any of this. Except for when your stories harm you or trap you or cut you off from a sense of possibility. What stories are you telling yourself about what you can and cannot do? Who you can and cannot be? What story was the third slave telling himself about what he could do or be? So a little bit of um, trivia. A talent was equal to about 15 years of wages. So let's say the average wage is $40,000 a year. Five talents is equal to $3 million, okay? Two talents is equal to $1.2 million, and one talent is equal to $600,000. So when our one talent dude tells himself the story that the master doesn't have confidence in him or trust him, when he tells himself that he's best off just burying it in the ground, that's a false story, right? If someone gives you half a million dollars, more often than not, they're expecting you to do something with it, right? Maybe go to medical school or law school or start a business or invent something. They're most likely not expecting you to stick it under your mattress, right? But that's basically what this guy did. He, he just couldn't or wouldn't believe that he was given that money for a reason. At the very least, the master says, you could have put it into a savings account. Give it to some investment bakers and at least accrue minimal interest, right? In fact, giving it to bankers is something that the master actually could have done himself, right? He gave it to the slave because he wanted him to do something with it. He wanted to, and he wanted him to see what would come of it, right? He wanted the slave to do it in the way that, made, that, that could only come from that slave, right? It's easy to tell our stories. It's easy to say, well, I wasn't blessed with much talent or intelligence or good looks or I didn't have a good home life, or I grew up with nothing, right? These are stories that we tell ourselves, and so much, sometimes they're true, right? Maybe you're not very pretty, right? Um, but uh, they, they don't have to sort of define our be-all and end-all, right? They, they are effective at shutting us down, right, when we start telling ourselves these stories. So I'm going to give you a different story to tell yourself. God created you on purpose for a purpose. I don't know what that purpose is, right? But for multiplication of what it is that God has already invested in you. And so when you shut down that purpose, you're doing the same thing as that one talent slave. You're digging a big old hole and curling up into it. Wake me when I'm dead. That's a waste, God is saying. That's a waste of my time and my effort and my energy and my investment in you. It's really hard to build a person. I just did it. It's really hard. God is expecting, I'm expecting something to come out of it, right? Even if it's just the dishes getting done, right? So in this sermon, we're series, in this sermon series, we're talking about faith and finances, and our focus today is on debt. And these days, it's a minor miracle, I think, if you can make it uh, through life without having carried some kind of debt 
at some point. Um, our economic system is set up to put us in debt, which is another sermon, but it is. So most folks are going to find themselves in debt at some point in their lives, but there's good debt and there's bad debt, right? The good debt is the stuff that helps you get to where you want to be or where you need to be, a student loan maybe, or um, a home loan, or even a business loan, or depending on where you live or what you do, a car loan, right? I lived in a place where the bus came maybe once uh, an hour. Um, so I needed a car, uh, and my mom would always tell me, your car is your legs, right? You can't get to work without your car. Obviously, in Chicago, it might be a little bit different, depending. But anyway, that kind of debt is an investment into something, right? It's an investment into something that will provide bigger returns on life than what you can have right now. That's a good way to measure good debt. Will this provide much bigger returns? Will it take me somewhere I couldn't go without it, right? And, and will it be something that I can reasonably pay off? Will it be something I can reasonably pay off? That, and so that's where bad debt begins to come in. You, the bad debt is, will I end up being trapped by this? Will it bind me and make me feel panicky? Will it do more harm than good? In the long run, will it lead to more life? Or will it diminish my life? These are, I think, kind of good guiding rule of thumb type questions. There are nuances, right? But these are important questions that you can ask when you're starting to look at the possibility of debt. So, but whether it's a car loan, a mortgage, a student loan, or credit cards, most of us here have had some kind of experience of feeling the weight of debt on our shoulders. Fannie Mae or Chase or Bank of America be coming at us like Rihanna every month, right? <laughs> Baby, better give me my money. <laughs> That's the radio edit. And the feeling of debt, right, can be totally debilitating. It can make you feel like everything in life is on hold until you pay it off. I know, you guys are still laughing at Rihanna. <laughs> so I've always had a particular sensitivity to debt because one of my family members got into a lot of credit card debt. And it wasn't that they were especially reckless with their spending or that they were spending more than what they had. It was more that they were absent-minded and basically irresponsible. They wouldn't notice a bill that came in or the bill that came after that or the bill that came after that. And with an 18 to 19% interest rate every month and compound, um, wait, that's compound interest, um, and late fees, right? What had started out as an initial $2,000 bill quickly became $10,000. And this compound interest along with the late fees resulted in phone, call, phone calls at all hours of the night. Scary letters, strange people knocking on your door. Eventually it was all paid down, but seeing that unfold really impacted me. If I could help it, I was never going to be in debt. So when I graduated from college, I got to work immediately uh, paying off my debt loans as aggressively as I could every month. And after a few months of this, I was talking to my mom about it, feeling very proud about my fiscal conservatism, right? But her response kind of surprised me. She told me that I should only actually pay the minimum balance on my loan because the interest rate on student loans was the lowest I would ever get on any loan in my life. She told me that in this case, money is better being spent on the here and now as I was like beginning to build my life as a young adult. To hear this from her was kind of shocking for me because she's a pretty financially prudent person, but she's also pretty savvy. I thought I was being responsible by paying it off as quickly as I could. Now, I know that if it had been credit cards or something else that had sort of a punishing um, interest rate, her advice would have been different. But after our phone call, I made some changes to my payment plan, and after a while, I began to feel this sort of shift inside of me. 
You know, I wasn't living so tight month to month. I started to feel less weighed down. I felt, began to feel generous with others and with myself, because I'm the one, I'll, I'll usually kind of take it out on myself first. I realized that I had sort of been holding my breath in life, waiting to live. I had told myself a story. I can't do anything, I can't do anything until I pay off my loans. In the meantime, I was all wrapped up in that, and my life was passing me by. Do not bury who you are and what you have because of your debt story. Loans are real, right? Bills are real. Debt can definitely keep you in bondage. It can keep you from living with a sense of freedom and possibility. It can be pretty scary. I get it. It's real. But if you go about your debt well, it doesn't have to define who you are, right? It doesn't have to define what you're capable of. And as you live with your debt in responsible ways, right, remember this. Your debt is not your story. Your debt is not the fullness of who you are. God has made an investment in you, and not a small investment. God has given you this life here on earth, right? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to have to show for the time, talent, and money that you were given in this lifetime? I spent it paying off all my student loans. <laughs> That's like the most boring story ever told, right? And disappointing. There's a story that God wants to tell through you. But it requires your participation. It requires your willingness to risk. I think that if the third slave actually had lost all of the money he had or had come back with less than what he started with, the master actually would have been less angry than what he was at the end. And you know why? Because I think, I think it's about at least he tried, right? At least he took what he was given and tried to make something of it, even if he lost it all. That's what God is asking of you. Try. Take a risk. Be responsible, but don't let it hold you back from what I'm trying to do through you. Don't let it keep your life from telling the story that I want to tell you. You know, throughout the Gospels, you hear Jesus talk about the, the kingdom of God, and um, he'll say, the kingdom of God is here, or it's not here, or it's already among you when like everyone's sort of falling out and like dying, um, and people are like, what, what do you mean? And that's because the investment is there. What are you gonna do with it, right? The kingdom of God is here in this room. It can be here in this room. It can be out in this world, right? Will you open yourself to God's story? Will you open yourself, will you unclench your fists and open your heart and your mind to receive what the demanding, insistent, shrewd God is wanting to do through you? What are you going to make of God's investment? What do you need to do to exchange the story that you tell yourself for the story that God is trying to tell through you? Jesus is not a financial advisor, but he is a storyteller. And he's trying to get you to pick up the pen of your life and start writing something. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you don't give up on us. We thank you even that you are demanding and insistent and shrewd and that you call us to accounts. Help us, God, to be people who will live the life that you desire to live. Help us to be creative in our storytelling. Help us to make something of the investment that you made in us so long ago and continue to make with every passing day. And help us to have the courage to do it. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.